0: So I want you to welcome with a Big Lake Sam welcome, John and Lori Baderman. Wow. <laughs> That's tough to up to.
1: Yeah. I think anybody who's been asked by Kurt to speak kind of has a new profound respect for what he does every week because... <laughs> um, Just getting ready for this was, it was a challenge and I don't know whose dumb idea it was to ask a a mom with four kids during the holidays, one of them five months old, Kurt, to do a (laughs) sermon. But he did and uh, here we are.
2: Thank you to my parents who have watched our four kids a lot in the last two weeks. Huge thank you to them.
1: But we're here. Barely. I mean, we were putting the finishing touches on this this morning, so we um, we have our notes. We will be relying on them heavily, and um, if it seems like we're reading a lot, we are. <laughs> if that's annoying to you, sorry. It's just the only way we're going to get through this. So, I do want to thank you for... I mean, our life is busy enough, and the, the fact that she would agree to do this is amazing. So, I, I think you're just incredible. So, thanks. My, uh, my primary love language is words of affirmation. It's her least important. So right now she's going, nice, sweetie. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. All right. How's that? Hey, I can see. All right, let's jump in. Okay. I'm a man. I'm a woman. It does get more profound than this, I promise. (laughs) I'm the youngest in my family.
2: I'm the oldest.
1: I see life through optimistic lenses.
2: I see life through pessimistic lenses.
1: I'm driven by fun, just give me the gist.
2: I'm gold driven and detail-oriented.
1: My dream vacation would be flying in a float plane to a remote lake in
2: Alaska. Give me a sun-drenched tropical beach complete with a great novel, a drink with those cute little umbrellas, and a massage.
1: I love eating meat off the bone and clean it thoroughly.
2: Eating with your fingers is uncivilized. Fork and knife, thank you very much.
1: For me, driving is like a military campaign. My destination is a strategic objective to be obtained. Tactics are employed which require complete situational awareness and people who drive slowly in the left lane are an enemy to be conquered.
2: (laughs) For me, driving is simply a way to get somewhere.
1: I could sleep with the window open in the middle of a snowstorm.
2: 69 degrees and a cozy blanket, thank you.
1: Pumpkin pie at Thanksgiving and Christmas.
2: Pecan pie suits my Texan blood.
1: I'm a night person.
2: I'm a morning person.
1: I'm spontaneous.
2: I need a plan. I'm the dreamer. I provide the reality check.
1: In the morning I must start my day with a good cup of coffee.
2: Hold on. In the morning I must start my day with a good cup of coffee. Hmm. I love music but I think best when it is not playing in the background.
1: I always enjoy having music or the TV on when I work.
2: I always ask for directions when I'm lost
1: I'm never lost
2: (laughs) they say that opposites attract and these opposites have been pretty funny but what happens when it gets down to more serious issues like money in-laws and parenting when differences more core to our nature start to collide like our personality types emotional needs, and communication styles. How do you keep opposites attracted and bonded?
1: And God clearly designed men and women to be different, and yet he clearly intended these two different people to become one. We
2: don't have
1: that there. I have no idea if it's on. Oh, on, there we go. Hey, it vibrates. That's fun. All right. There we go. All right. Let's just uh, look at a few verses that have to do with uh, marriage and oneness. Genesis 127. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. He created them to be different. Both are a reflection of who he is, and yet both are different. monitor down here. Uh, then the Lord God said, it's not good for, for a man to be alone. I'll make a helper who is just right for him. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and brought her to him. And I love that phrase, uh, just right. It just indicates completion, a perfect fit, yet still different. That uh, Genesis 2 continues, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. And the uh, the idea of one flesh versus just oneness indicates uh, the importance that God places on uh, monogamy of marriage. And then in Ephesians 5, of course, as the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother, joined to his wife. The two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. And we see right here how important this concept of oneness is. Not only in marriage but in all of our relationships and in our relationship with God. And this next verse, if you've been here at Lake Sam for any amount of time, you're familiar with this one. This is Jesus speaking. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be so, that the world will believe that you sent me. So we ask the question, how is it possible for two very different people to come together, spend the rest of their lives in the most intimate of relationships, and get to a place that even comes close to approaching oneness or unity?
2: One of the biggest challenges a couple faces is dealing with the multitude of differences between them. Today we're going to explore some of those differences and the challenge of figuring out what to do with them. More importantly, we hope to make the case that God can take you beyond acceptance of differences and miraculously create a oneness in your marriage that is deeper and richer than you knew was possible. While we will be talking about marriage, we believe you'll also see how God desires to apply these concepts to all of our relationships, um, although marriage is the most intimate and exclusive of relationships.
1: Okay, so as Kurt says, that's where we're going. And... I have the privilege of asking Kurt to pray for us and pray for another church.
0: Thank you, Lord. This whole thing of becoming one is so critical. And God, uh, we find ourselves getting to imitations of it and then discovering that we haven't achieved. And I would ask you in Jesus' holy and precious name that today you would equip us, whether married or not, that you would equip us with an understanding in a way in all of our relationships to get not only get past relationships, but to genuinely become one, the way that you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, we lift up Eastside to you, and I ask you that you would just continue to do a strong work through them as you have for decades now. In Jesus' name, let your anointing and your presence be there. Thank you, Lord.
1: For all the rest of us, being asked to pray is terrifying for Kurt. It's like, oh, good. (laughs) Okay. One more verse. Mark 10, Jesus quotes the Genesis verse that we just read, and he adds, since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined (laughs) together. Now, while cute and endearing, this is not what we're talking about when we talk about oneness. (laughs) This is the Schwankies. They've been doing this for 35 years. And I'm sure they're a very sweet couple. But being joined together, it talks about in Mark, that's not the same as being joined at the hip. It doesn't mean that our differences go away and that we become the same as our spouse, dressing the same, eating the same, or thinking the same. That's not what oneness is about. Now, Lori and I have been studying differences in couples for a while. We've come up with a little short list of some of those differences, and if you can just memorize these, your marriage will be perfect. (laughs) The big difference for Lori and I is how we handle stress. When we were first married, I had a very stressful job and would often bring that stress home with me at the end of the day.
2: During these times, John would become very quiet and almost sullen. He would sit in front of the TV in his recliner, watching TV. I'd try to talk to him, but it was obvious he didn't want to talk. Being a woman, I would ask, are you upset with me? And he'd say, no. No but his continued silence made me nervous. I thought he just didn't want to talk to me about it, so I'd badger him with questions, probing deeper. Are you really sure you're not mad at me? All my badgering only made him withdraw further.
1: We realized after reading John Gray's book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, that what we were dealing with was simply the difference in how men and women deal with stress. Men tend to become increasingly focused and withdrawn while women become increasingly overwhelmed and emotionally involved. Men pull into their personal cave and work out the problem alone, while women typically seek out someone that they trust and talk about it in great detail. (laughs) We were unintentionally hurting each other simply because we lacked an understanding of our differences, uh, different reactions to stress.
2: Now when John's quiet, I just ask, Are you upset with me or do you just need cave time? When he says cave time, I rest assured it's not me and I should just leave him alone until he's done and ready to come out of the cave.
1: Differences like these can sneak up and just slam into us like a freight train. When counseling couples getting married, we warn them that it's not the big differences that are going to get you, things like your political beliefs or... Um, your values, religious beliefs, so it's the small, little, everyday things that are just going to drive you crazy. While dating and newlyweds, we were attracted by our differences. Differences are interesting, they're intriguing, they pull us together. Have you ever seen a commercial for an online dating website? They usually paint a romantic picture of finding your soulmate, that person that's so compatible with you that you just naturally complete each other. You just fit together like two pieces of a puzzle and you magically live happily ever after.
2: Now, God did put this longing for a soulmate within us, but the reality is that our puzzle pieces come with some pretty rough edges that need refining before they fit comfortably together. And early on, we don't understand what it means to complete each other. We really have no idea how deep our differences are. But the longer that we live together, the more the rough edges start rubbing and it hurts. We start getting uncomfortable and frustrated with each other's differences and it can get to a pretty unsettling place. We start looking for ways to deal with the change. Some even begin questioning why they married in the first place or if perhaps they married the wrong person.
1: Now, an example of this is how we express and receive love. Most of you are probably pretty familiar with the five love languages the five different ways we communicate love and the five ways that we feel most love when it's communicated to us. When you're dating and you're first married, man, you're hitting on all five. You're holding hands, you're saying nice things to each other, you're buying each other gifts, you're doing things for each other, spending all of your time together, and you're just being so lovey-dovey and sweet, and it's great. But then, as time goes on, you begin to settle into kind of what your primary love language is. And more often than not, yours and your spouse are completely opposite of each other. You feel um, unloved. You feel unappreciated. All the while, you are telling each other that you love you, just in a completely different language.
2: When differences become challenging or frustrating, how do we attempt to handle them? A common instinct is for me to try to change my spouse to be more like me. If you've tried that, you know how well it doesn't work. If we can't change it, maybe we just try to tolerate it. That's annoying, but I'll just put up with it. Other times we discount or dismiss the difference. I don't see why this is such a big deal. He should just get over it. When we stop assuming that our spouse thinks feels and reacts the same way that we do and start lovingly educating each other on our differences, we can change the tone of our relationships. But acceptance and understanding alone doesn't get us to the fullness God has in mind. If you've tried a lot of these things and failed, you might decide to quit trying completely and just go along to get along. We found that breakthroughs in our marriages can happen when we start asking why If differences cause so many conflicts, why did God design us to be so different? What is his deeper purpose?
1: So let's look at some of those reasons. One purpose is to complete each other. When you see the list of differences and how most couples are totally opposite in nearly all areas, it's fairly obvious that we are designed to bring balance to each other's strengths and weaknesses to fill in the missing pieces. We like being completed when it makes it feel good. When we take two of our strengths and put them together to make an even better whole. For example, when we combine Lori's organizational and writing skills with my relational and leadership skills and have a great encounter, engaged encounter weekend ministering to couples preparing for marriage, that's great,
2: feels good. But I don't like it so much when John's differences start revealing my faults, my fears, My selfishness, my baggage from the past, that's painful. These are the areas that I need healing and transformation. And often, my relationship with John is the very process God designed to bring me healing and transformation. But I have to be willing to engage the process to let John in and allow him to complete me. Being a female, with the added component of the melancholy personality type, I can very quickly become extremely overconnected emotionally. When my emotions get tied in knots, I don't look at situations clearly or respond to them well. And I need John's compartmentalization to help me unwind my emotions and get a better perspective. Before I understood male box thinking and, and male problem solving, I would get frustrated with John when he'd ask me questions or try to offer his perspective on my jumbled emotions. I felt he wasn't empathizing with me. But when I saw the value of his differences and his heart to truly help me, I learned to trust his box thinking and welcome his help and perspective. And through John's patience, I'm even learning how to stop myself from letting my emotions get quite so tied up.
1: Uh-oh. Um, another purpose is that our differences set us up for a healthy dependency on one another. I should say that again. Another purpose for our differences is to set us up for a healthy dependency on one another. Nowhere is this more relevant than the oh-so-intriguing area of sex. (laughs) If you haven't seen this before, just let it sink in a little bit. Popular culture would have us believe that women have the same overpowering drive and interest as men in sex and want it as frequently as men want it. If all you know about a woman's desire for sex is what you see on the popular media or just as likely these days from pornography, you would think that women have the same overpowering physical drive that men have for sex. The truth is most women don't because they don't have huge amounts of this evil thing called testosterone coursing through their bodies. Women, regulated by the 28-day cycle of the estrogen hormone, which can cause major swings in her emotions, as well as physical pain and discomfort. We boys are taught at a young age, usually by our well-trained fathers, to tread carefully around women who are in this condition. (laughs) We're taught to be understanding and supportive, be gentle, and never say anything that might hurt or upset her. Now, I need your help here. I'd like to ask the women here to help the men understand by a show of hands, how many of you wish you had a switch that once a month you could turn down or off the negative side effects that happen because of your cycle? How many of you wish that you could just turn that down once a month? Now somewhere around age 10 or 11, A boy's pituitary gland kicks in and his body begins to produce testosterone in huge amounts. It's been said by people who study these things that an adolescent boy or young man will have a sexually oriented thought every few seconds. While the hormone cycle of a woman is measured in weeks, typically a four-week cycle, the hormone cycle for a man is measured in days, needing a physical release on average every two to three days. It's not an overstatement to say that the sexual drive in a man is an incredibly powerful, often all-consuming force in his life. It will play into many major decisions he makes and too often will lead him to make many decisions he will regret, cause him to do things that bring pain and heartache, not only to himself, but to those he loves very much. Now men, how many of you, by a show of hands, wish that you had the ability to turn this drive down and then, of course, turn it back up again when you need it. (laughs) How many of you wish that this all-consuming drive was much more controllable and much less (laughs) all-consuming? The reason I did this is because I wanted you to see we both have the same problem. In both cases, the effects of hormone that you can't control are responsible for causing you all sorts of trouble. Yet while we rightly teach men that they have to be sensitive and understanding of women who are struggling with the emotions of their monthly cycle, it's okay in our culture to mock men for the physical struggle they have or dismiss it as purely psychological. The struggle that men have is real. He was designed by God this way and he needs your understanding and support. This is an area where If we strive to get it right, we can build tons of strength into our marriages.
2: When we were newlyweds, I was downright oblivious to these differences. John would drop little hints that if I were a man, I probably would have understood them, but I wasn't picking up on his sexual drive and needs. He wondered why I wasn't being sensitive or understanding. I was not intentionally hurting him. I was oblivious because I'm different and I had absolutely no idea what he was experiencing. When he finally talked to me about it and started helping me understand this difference, it opened my eyes. It improved our communication, our understanding and our experience. The exclusivity of marriage propels this cycle of needing each other. My desire for John to care for my emotional needs motivates me to care for his physical needs. John's desire for me to care for his physical needs motivates him to care for my emotional needs. Because we don't go to others for these needs, it forces us to resolve conflicts, improve our communication, speak each other's love language, and work on other aspects of our marriage, thereby keeping our overall marriage healthy. It gets at the root of our attitudes. Striving for mutual pleasure within the married sexual relationship causes us to serve one another and demonstrate attitudes of love, respect, patience, Gratitude, gentleness, self-control, and kindness.
1: The final purpose of our differences that we're going to look at is how they keep us dependent on God. Here's a door hinge. In case you don't know what a door hinge is, we just put it up there because the little hinge we use is so small. small. The two parts, they are similar and yet they're different. They fit together and they function as a unit. They complete each other and they depend on each other. You can hang a door in the frame with just the two hinge pieces and fit them together, and it'll work for a while, but at some point, the two pieces will come apart, the door will fall out of the frame. The pin is essential for holding the hinge together and keeping it as a functioning unit. God is the pin, holds the couple together in unity. He's essential to our marriage. We can't function for long without him, central to our relationship. Oneness is very difficult to achieve in our human strength. No matter how hard I try to engage differences, there are parts of my spouse I have trouble accepting and parts of myself I simply cannot conquer. We describe the constant battle men have with testosterone-induced sex drive. In addition to needing our wives physically, we men have to depend on God to control that drive. We can't conquer this area in our own strength.
2: We women have that constant battle with the estrogen and the emotions that that brings, that PMS time, when emotions seem uncontrollable, life becomes overwhelming and fear can swallow us. In addition to needing our husbands emotionally, we have to depend on God to control our feelings, find peace in our circumstances and battle fear. We can't conquer this area in our own strength. So God's goal for marriage is not just bringing two people into unity, but bringing three people into unity, a tri-unity. From the beginning, God's picture of marriage is in the garden, God walking with Adam and Eve, being with them, the three of them, together.
1: So for those of you who have come to Engaged Encounter, you're familiar with our red triangle. This is kind of a picture of how this triune relationship is supposed to work. So there's an axiom that says the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. And that for a couple to get close, they need to move toward each other. And we wanna make the argument that if your first move is to move toward God, then something interesting really happens. You notice that as you are moving toward God, that the distance between you is becoming shorter and shorter. And some interesting things happen when you get close to God, and we'll talk about that, but you're able to see see your spouse through God's eyes. Moving closer to God is the best way to move closer to each other because God transforms our perspective on people and circumstances, and God empowers us in ways we can't empower ourselves. God's love compels me to move beyond acceptance or tolerance of differences to a deeper unity than I knew was possible. Trying to become one on the horizontal line of the triangle is trying to do all the work ourselves. Going to God to become one with my spouse takes the work from me, and he makes it God's. I'm no longer responsible for changing my spouse or changing myself. I get to ask God for revelation and let him do transformation.
2: So last week, Kurt started us in this series on empowerment, discovering how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. So what does it look like to be empowered by the Holy Spirit in our marriage? Um, We see in this triangle, if we first go to God and ask for his revelation, that will change our heart and our perspective. So that can come down to kind of three core questions. First, I go to God and ask, How do you, God, feel about my spouse? Letting God show me what he loves about John so that I can fall in love with John the way that God sees him and the way that God loves him. Another question is, how, God, do you want to empower me to complete and minister to my spouse? And then how are you empowering my spouse to complete and minister to me? So after God gives us revelation in this, then he can actually start doing the transformation and empowerment. First Corinthians 12 is all about how God equips us to serve and minister to the body of Christ through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. How much more do we need the Holy Spirit empowerment in our most intimate relationship marriage? So earlier we looked at um, Ephesians 5.32, where God says that the intimacy of our marriage is an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. So let's look at how the Holy Spirit uses differences and empowers us to serve our spouse. So these are some highlights from 1 Corinthians 12 that I call the marriage paraphrase. Now, regarding the special abilities the Spirit gives, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in each spouse. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help our spouse. Gifts such as wise advice, messages of special knowledge, great faith, gift of healing, power to perform miracles, ability to prophesy, ability to discern whether a message is from the spirit of God or from another spirit, ability to speak unknown languages, ability to interpret what is being said. God has put each part where he wants it. This makes for harmony among the spouses so that the spouses care for each other. In our marriage, there are times when I know that John is hurting, but I don't know how to help him. And at those times, he doesn't need my female solutions, but I don't know what the male solutions are. That's when I need to go to God and ask for revelation and empowerment. I need God's wise advice, not my own. For the past 10 years, John's been self-employed and this means no predictable income and lots of stress. At one point, John was questioning if he should continue self-employment or go back to working for someone else. God clearly spoke to me that going back to working for someone else would be like the Israelites going back to Egypt. And we needed to continue forward in this path of self-employment because God was the one leading us on this journey. And this prophetic word was an encouragement for John to keep pressing forward.
1: We spoke earlier of how Lori's emotions can get tied in knots and she needs my box thinking to help her. While I'm listening to her, I'm praying for a word from the Lord for her. We've both had times of discouragement and when we're not sure where God is in our circumstances. Uh, Invariably, when Lori is lacking faith, God has given me an extra measure of faith to help encourage her build her up and carry us through. And Then, when I've been going some sort, through some sort of uh, crisis in my faith, God empowers her with great faith to carry us through. The spirit empowerment, it's not just for ministry that's out there in the church and in the world. That spirit empowerment is for living every moment in our life in all of our relationships.
2: So now we get to do Aha. a little fun role reversal. This is where we get to ask Kurt to come up and help us be an example. And the Bechtel's. <laughs> and, and
1: the Bechtel's are, uh, are, li- are living props. Wow, that got loud Sorry. Yeah. I, sorry.
2: Um, no. So right at the so end of up, worship, Kurt was talking about up needing up God's presence yeah. and needing to see what that God. looks to live stuff out. <laughs> so So this That's is one of real. those moments. You can be right
1: here. So this is our triangle in action. This is Ed and Babette, wonderful couple and they love each other very much, but they have lots of differences.
2: Lots of differences.
1: And those differences are like a veil that keep us from being able to get to each other. And we try to get to each other. We try to to go along that horizontal line, but we just keep running into things. And we we keep banging into these differences that keep us apart. And at some point, We'll even kind of look around somewhere else trying to figure out a way to to work through all this. But what happens when we turn and we move toward God and God reaches out to us, pulls that veil away. Now what happens? They come in close to God, and he's able to bring him past all the junk. And now look, here we are. Pick it I like
0: that. Mm. All right. Thank
1: you. All right. Thank you, God.
2: Thank you. Thank you.: I just felt like it was really important that we see. God reaching out to us and he's the one who's pulling us. At the same time as he's pulling us towards himself, he's pulling us towards each other and that's tri-unity. That's him bringing us into a oneness. So here's our final story to wrap all of this up for you. When we got married, we were both college educated, debt-free, progressing in well-paying jobs and Within the first year of our marriage, we bought a modest house on John's income, and we were setting aside most of my income for investments and savings. We were enjoying the newlywed stage and had virtually no relational conflict. We were on a good track. Financial difficulty and relationship stress were the last things that we expected to encounter.
1: Just after our fifth wedding anniversary, we hit a hard period in our marriage. We experienced a number of major life changes and stressors stacked in a very condensed time frame. We found out that we were pregnant, and one month later, I was laid off from my job. We spent five months unemployed before I got a new job, and did a major career shift from business management to associate pastoring here at Lake Sam. Three months into my new career, our daughter Brianna was born. When she was one month old, I had an emergency appendectomy followed two weeks later by gallbladder surgery. We staggered through Thanksgiving and Christmas, a two month old, a daddy recovering from surgeries, and a mommy suffering from postpartum depression. We were just getting our feet under us in the spring when we were knocked down again by turbulence with my job. The next seven months, we struggled to understand what God was doing and what job or ministry direction he wanted us to go. Finally, because of the financial downturns of the church due to a weak economy, a couple of us uh, on staff volunteered to leave our paid positions. Once again, we were unemployed and trying to figure out what career I should pursue.
2: During all the circumstantial turmoil, we were each having our own emotional and spiritual crises. I was reeling trying to figure out being a new mom and feeling very overwhelmed and out of control. I needed help from John more than ever but he was not physically or emotionally there because of the time demands of his job and the emotional struggle of his trying to find his purpose and life direction. He needed my support more than ever and I didn't have any energy to give him. We were both feeling so overwhelmed that we didn't know how to help each other. Eventually, I started seeing a Christian counselor to sort through the issues in my heart. And as part of that counseling, I wrote a letter to John to describe the ways I'd felt hurt, disappointed and frustrated. I also described my fears having heard other couples struggle with years of unforgiveness and unaddressed issues. I suddenly was starting to see how subtly you can get to places like that. In light of the magnitude of my letter, John's response letter was amazingly honest and undefensive. He answered my call for an open dialogue.
1: We made a covenant agreement at the beginning of our marriage that divorce was not an option. But that dark period in our relationship was a shocking reality check to see how easily we could have started down the slippery slope that would have led to divorce had we not made that covenant earlier and been committed to finding a way back from the edge of the cliff. For a couple of weeks, we dialogued through our letters and began a slow and painful healing process.
2: Then about a year later, we hit an even darker period. Before it seemed like we had been facing external circumstances and stressors. Then one of those little small incidences brought up some issues that caused me to turn inward on our marriage. I started questioning John's character and his motivation to care for and provide for our family. We got to a point where we weren't liking each other and it got pretty ugly. Again, we exchanged some letters which led to emotional discussions at opposite ends of the couch, in the dark, not able to look at each other. Then we ended up on opposite ends of the room. There were some days of functioning in numb silence, nights in separate beds. Finally, we said, we are at an impasse. We see this issue from completely different perspectives and we can't resolve it. We need help.
1: To get another perspective, we talked to Curt and Julie. Pastors here at Lake Sam for those of you who don't know them. We sought prayer, support, and mentoring from trusted friends. As individuals and together as a couple, we went to God. Through all this, God took us to a totally deeper level.
2: When I shared our struggles in confidence with my threefold prayer partners, one of these amazing friends encouraged me to write down just one thing that's good about John so that I could focus on that. In that moment, That was a really difficult task. He's full of great things and I couldn't find one. I was mad, I was hurt, and I wasn't looking for anything good. As I sat with pen and paper looking through my pain, I couldn't see it. I couldn't see it on my own. So I prayed, nothing eloquent, just to cry out to God for help. Over the next few days, as I went about my daily tasks, I started having little moments of revelation. I started realizing that I was expecting John to love me in a certain way, in my way, the way I would with my personality and my natural tendencies, but he's not like me and he wasn't loving me that way. When God opened my eyes to how he designed John and how John was loving me according to John's personality and natural tendencies, I suddenly saw that John loved me more deeply than I understood. I had completely missed his love I had rudely overlooked many selfless acts and expressions of love because they weren't in my language. Suddenly I was embarrassed that I had questioned John's integrity and underestimated his love. I was blown away by how God had given me a gift in John that was more than I could have asked for or imagined. I was humbled to start taking stock of how much God had changed me through being in relationship with John. By being in this most intimate relationship with someone different from me, I found John completing me, softening my rough edges. I began to see the things that drive me crazy about John when they conflict with my personality are the very things that God is using to utterly transform me. Like how John's spontaneous, unorganized ways that grate against my planning and organization have actually helped me become less uptight and easier to live with, less dependent on myself and more trusting of God.
1: You know, it's possible to have a good marriage without God. That's because godly principles work, whether or not you acknowledge him or not. (coughs) Whether or not you acknowledge him, sorry. But it's tough, and our way too high divorce rate kind of proves that out. Married or not, right now, where are you in your most intimate of relationships? Are you trying to move horizontally in that triangle? If you're in a good place in your marriage, great. If you understand God empowering you to to work through your differences and you've got a good marriage, great. This is a call for you to be a mentor, to reach out and help other people. But if you're struggling in your differences, whether at this point it's just mildly irritating, or maybe you've reached a harder place, are you struggling to reach each other on that horizontal level? Or maybe you've just quit trying altogether. Maybe you're frustrated and you've given up. Maybe you're feeling too hurt, like Lori, to even hardly try. Or maybe you're just feeling hopeless. A couple weeks ago, Eric Lee did a great sermon about the vastness and awesomeness of a creative God. He gave us a tiny glimpse of God's incredible creative powers. The vast creative power that he used to create the universe, it's available to you for working through your differences. So we say cry out to him for revelation. Not, Lord, change my spouse or my circumstances. Not, Lord, change my faults. But, Lord, show me how you look at my spouse. Remove the veil. Start that transformation. Do a miracle in our relationship. You've got to be willing. You've got to let him do what you can't do yourself. And don't give up on God because he hasn't given up on you and your marriage. He wants them to succeed and he can make that, he can empower us to make that happen. It is possible with God's help to get to a place where you not only understand and accept those differences, but you really truly can get to a place where you appreciate them. Allow the Holy Spirit to lift the veil that's clouding your understanding and together, as you turn toward God and begin to see your spouse through his eyes, he will lead you to a place in your marriage more deep, more rich, than you ever thought possible. Let's pray. Father God, you've created this thing called marriage. A relationship that is more important than any other, in particular because... As we are working out, learning to love each other, we are also learning to love you, be in relationship and oneness with you. So, Lord, we pray for every marriage here, Lord, every intimate relationship that is struggling to figure out how to work through these differences and how to see the beauty that you've created in those differences for us. So, Lord, we just pray for your spirit empowerment We pray for revelation. We pray that uh, Lake Sam will be a place for restoration, that marriages can be made whole, and not only whole, Lord, but you will shock us with the wonderful, deep
0: places that you can take us in oneness. In Jesus' name.